We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we are live. It is the Field of 68 After Dark. My name is Rob Dosser. I am joined today by my podcast co-host, uh, Terrence Oglesby, former Clemson Tiger, current Clemson radio guy and ACC network analyst, uh, and also potentially a newsbreaker in uh, in the world of college athletics. Oh, not not me. Um, and also my fellow top 40, under 40 <laughs> member, the one and only Jim Root, the brains and the looks, but probably not the talent behind the three-man weave. Jim, what's going on, man? It's your first appearance here. You fired up? I'm, I'm very fired up. I don't need I don't need the talent. Like, as long as I got brains and looks, I'm good there. Uh, I'm one-third of an entrant on the top 40, under 40. I wasn't a full, full-fledged full entrant, but I'll, I'll be, you know, 33% of one. That works. Yeah, I was about to say that's 33% more than what I got on that list. <laughs> so, and that was readily apparent on our uh, notification tweet. So there you go. <laughs> you're uh you're you're on my top 40 under 40 to thank you uh, best best newsbreakers in the business uh anyway we have we have a lot to talk about today there was actually a lot of basketball on a day that was dominated by football uh we're going to get into memphis and what in the hell is going on down there with penny hardaway and amani bates in that program uh, we're going to talk about wisconsin and we are absolutely going to get into michigan and whether or not this team is back but before we do all of that we just came off one of the most exciting games that we've watched probably uh, over the course of this season. Alabama goes into Seattle. I believe that was in Key Arena and knocks off number three Gonzaga. Climate, climate Pledge Arena. Climate Is that what it is now? Yeah, the, the new one for the Kraken. Yeah. Well, there you go. The, uh, the Climate Pledge Arena. Uh, and they beat Gonzaga in front of what was essentially a uh, home crowd, 91 to 82. That game never really felt all that close. It felt like Alabama from the tip was the better team, and Gonzaga was the underdog that was trying to find a way to fight back and get a win. T.O., I'm going to you first on this one, man. Give me your takeaways. What is the, the biggest thing that you're, you're thinking coming out of that matchup? Holy cow, is Alabama athletic and talented. And if they can turn the game into really fast, and that just happens to be where Gonzaga plays really well also, like Alabama can be really, really effective. And J.D. Davison, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, you want to talk about elite level athlete, Doster? We're talking Russell Westbrook type of athlete, and I and I say that without any hesitancy. His explosion off the floor, his explosion off the dribble. I was sitting here thinking, I was like, how does this translate? Because I, that's been a topic of conversation. Because ESPN has decided to NBA draft every college game that we watch right now with Chet Holmgren in there. But like, I was sitting there thinking, he is going to benefit so much from playing at the next level and that floor being open because he's so fast and explosive. Um, but Jaden Shackelford, he was also incredible to watch, really efficient in the way he played. And my other takeaway guys like Gonzaga has a hard time with athleticism and big, strong athletes. If you look at their two losses, Duke, Mark Williams, big Paolo Bancaro, big Trevor Keels, bigger body. They had a hard time getting loose, especially at their four and their five position. I know Chet's getting a lot of – he's getting a lot of publicity. But I worry about, you know, his body having to defend some of these players. Sure, I know the the analytics are out of their mind. But uh, that body size, when it comes to a one-game sample, I get worried. And, uh, you know, there were a couple of times where he would get an offensive rebound, come down, try to go back up, and he looked like – a, a horse being born like his legs just aren't under him like it, it, he just doesn't have any there and I know you guys have never seen a little pony being born but it takes a minute for those poor ponies to get up on all fours boys and whenever that happens there's a lot of struggling initially and that's what it looks like to me whenever Chet Holmgren 
it tries to go up on that second jump. He just doesn't have it yet. His body needs time. And the problem is, is Gonzaga wants to win a championship this year, not in four or five years. And that concerns me. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Um, I, I, I made that point at the start of the year, and I think a lot of us made that point. There was one play that really stood out to me with Chet, and I, I texted you guys about this. Um, they were trying to play a little high-low, uh, and Drew Timmy threw a ball up, a lob that would have been a lob to the rim because Chet had his man sealed up the lane, uh, and he wasn't able to hold the seal. I, I can't remember who it was that he was – being guarded by, I think it might've been Darius miles. It wasn't someone that was big and strong and they were able to just dislodge him. And it ended up being a turnover because uh, Chet could not hold off um, the defender. Uh, Jim, let me ask you this. My part of the reason why I thought for a while that, that Gonzaga was the best team in college basketball. And why I thought that they had a chance to win a national title. Why I'm now kind of second guessing whether or not uh, they actually belong in that conversation is because of how good they are defensively. They just gave up 91 points to an Alabama team that lost to Iona. Are, are you, was this Alabama just finding a way to do what they wanted to do? Was this just a situation where it was a tough matchup for Gonzaga? Are you worried about what they are on the defensive end of the floor? Where, where, where do you stand on that? I'm a little worried. Uh, I, I thought late in the Duke game, they really picked on Bolton. They were like, all right, Wendell Moore, Trevor Keels, whoever's being guarded by Bolton. He, he's just a little smaller on the wing. He's not able to hold up. As Tio mentioned about the, like the wing size. And then today against Alabama, like we saw Alabama kind of suffocate the Gonzaga, or excuse me, the Alabama offense, made him play in the half court, took away the three-point line. But Gonzaga doesn't play that way. They're not going to like slow things down and change the way they play to try to stop Alabama. They're going to play up tempo. They're going to play in transition. And that's just feeding the fire for Alabama, unfortunately. Like it, it kind of ended up being – Alabama played Gonzaga's game better than Gonzaga, which is something we haven't seen really uh, in years. Like, I mean, maybe Baylor kind of did that to them, but it was, that was more taking them out of their game. Alabama was just a better transition team today. It was shocking to see. They knocked down shots that spread them out early. But, yeah, I'm a little worried about Gonzaga's defense, especially on the wing, because I don't think they can stop penetration right now. Yeah, especially when they get the switches, right? Like, that's not what Chet Holmgren – is therefore that's not what Drew Timmy is good at. There were a couple moments where he was uh, functional defending. He got caught on a couple switches against Javon Quinterly and did an okay job. Um, and I actually think that when Chet is in the middle, like the one value that he does have where it doesn't really matter how strong he is, is just as kind of that weak side help defender that cleans up everything at the rim that allows you to overplay and pressure and not worry about getting hit with a backdoor or worry about getting beaten off the dribble because, you know, anything within seven feet of the rim is going to get erased. But uh, he only played – I'm looking at the box score now. He only played 22 minutes despite having a single foul. So that's that's a little bit of a concern for me. And, um, to you, I don't know where you stand on this, but it's it, you cannot allow Alabama to get as many wide-open looks at a three as they did in the first half and have any chance of winning. That's that, that's all NATO wants to do. He wants to get the ball in the paint with, a, with, with dribble penetration and find a shooter or get a layup, and you cannot allow them to get that many wide-open threes. You have no chance. There'll be anybody in college basketball. Well, it also has a lot to do with Alabama being able to put pressure on the rim. I think Bediaco changes the game a little bit, too, because you can just throw it up there. J.D. Davison can put pressure on the rim because he's so explosive from the perimeter. So those are two big things. But another thing that kind of worries me, too, you lose this way because you give Alabama a bunch of threes. You lose against Duke because you give up a lot in the paint. So, like, there's weaknesses both spots. Uh, I thought Juwan Gary, he only had seven points on two of eight shooting. But I thought he was a problem for Chet Holmgren. I thought that was one of the reasons they had to get out because, you know, Chet Holmgren, everybody talks about, well, he runs the floor pretty well. He covers a lot of space. But if the game's going like this, those hips aren't letting him turn yet. And I say yet very strongly. But he's not able to change direction. And I and I'm I, I just worry about him from a physicality standpoint. But when it gets when it comes to Alabama, it's all inside out. It's never a post touch, but it's inside out. They're attacking the rim first, and then they're kicking out. Now they'll shoot one in transition pretty early in the clock, but for the most part, it's high ball screen. They're going to do some ghost screen action to where they'll be able to get downhill as fast as possible, and then they're either dunking or they're kicking out. It's one of the two, and I I just. They're not overly complicated either. I mean, truth be told, Alabama's not overly complicated. They got a lot of guys that can attack the rim. They get in there and they span out and they play really well together. I thought it was tremendous job coaching by Oates. You put 91 points up. I, I mean, pretty good, guys. Pretty good. I, the Wyoming loss is a fluke. 
This is basketball. It's not football. You know, you're going to have a night or two where you don't have it. And good teams, no, great teams find ways to win when you don't have it. Gonzaga didn't have it tonight. That was readily evident. They, Doster, you mentioned it. They're, they missed three or four threes uh, that could have been momentum-changing threes throughout the course of the last 10 minutes of the game. And they just didn't have it. But you it still have to sloppy. find ways to win. There were there were a lot of plays that were very un, un-Gonzaga plays, right? Like, there were a couple Drew Timmy passes that were just like, what are, you, what are you seeing? Why are you making that pass? Why are you trying to thread that needle at this moment of the game? There was uh, the Anton Watson turnover. They, they – they get this big stop. The crowd is behind them. They have the lead cut to four. They have the ball. Um, they have a chance to get it to a single possession for like the first time in forever. And Anton Watson just makes a lazy turn. I think it was 74 to 70 at the time. They just exactly. doesn't see Javon Quinterly sneaking in behind. I think it was Andrew Nembhard. Lazy pass, lazy turnover, something that should not be acceptable. And there were, there were, it felt like there were 10 of those for Gonzaga mm-hmm. today. And you don't normally see. Gonzaga make mistakes like that Jim I want to I'm going to throw something out there this is kind of off the wall I want to know what your opinion is on it I Alabama is is similar to Villanova to me in the sense that their style offensively does not require much to be called they just kind of have Villanova calls them their concepts so I'll say that I'll call them I'll call them concepts as well where they they're taught to do certain things in, in certain moments of the game where they read certain plays and read certain actions and read certain uh, the way that, that a defense is playing and they learn how to kind of get their shots, what shots they want out of those certain actions. And it's very different in the way that they do this. But I think that that kind of to a point makes you a little bit matchup proof, right? We talked uh, to, we talked a lot about how defenses like what Florida state does and defenses like what Duke does in an ideal world can take you out of what you want to run offensively. And I think that to a point, Alabama, what they do can kind of minimize that because they, they don't really run stuff. They just kind of go out there and play almost to a point. Does that make sense? Am I, yeah. am I just do I no, no. brown stuff already? No, you're good. I, I, I think it makes you really hard to prepare for because you can't be yeah. like, here's what they're going to run. This, it's not like a football game where it's like they're going to spread out and run the option this way or, or short passing game. Like Davison and Shackelford and Coinerly just make stuff happen off the bounce. And, and last year – it was almost all like isolation where it'd be just one guy. They're bringing more ball screens this year. And especially against Gonzaga, that's really smart because you want to get Timmy in space. You want to get Holmgren moving his feet on the perimeter away from the rim. And it's just, it's tough when you've got like individual talent, like Alabama does on the perimeter, like Tio said, guys that can get to the rim, put pressure on you that way. It's, it's tough to defend and it's tough to like set up a true plan for that other than let's muck the game up which is kind of what Iona did. It's what Tarleton state did to Gonzaga. Like, I think, I think Alabama would have a tough time with Tarleton state because they'd slow them into the half court. But when they're playing somebody that's like, we're willing participants in your track meet, then that's Alabama's just like their eyes light up. And clearly they did tonight, put up 50 in the first half. And that, that team can play when they're running. How many possessions were in the game, Jim? You're, you're, you're the stats guy. How many possession, possessions? Uh, for... I've got I to gotta add it up quick. Give me a second. Yeah, it's at 80 on Ken Palm. I don't 80 know on Ken Palm. That, Ken that, sounds, that sounds right. I mean, it was Lying. up and down. It's like, yeah. a, like a tennis match. It was just back was. and forth. <laughs> it was. And it was fun to watch. Like, I, I hope more teams kind of embrace this style. And, and Tio, you made a point when uh, – when you said you hope that someone like a Nate Oates or a Bruce Pearl goes to Maryland for that opening, uh, because it will change the way um, that big 10 plays basketball. I do want to ask you guys this. We mentioned the sec. We mentioned the big 10. I'm going to put you on the spot. Jim, I'm going to you first. T.O. I want your opinion on this as well. The sec is the best conference in college basketball. It is better than the big 10 Jim thoughts, takeaways. Am I crazy? Uh, not crazy. I think it's better than the big 10. I think the the, Maybe the real threat would be the Big 12, even. I'd put slightly ahead of the Big 10, but the SEC can play. I, as far as, like, title contenders, T.O., I think I'd go Big 12 because you get Kansas, Baylor, and assuming Texas emerges from their little, uh, you know, metamorphosis as they come together. Um, but the SEC is probably the deepest. Like, the, the top – I think there's six in the top 25 right now, and you could talk yourself into a couple more there. Um, I, I'm in on the SEC being better than the Big Ten right now. I don't think that's crazy at all. But we've been saying for, with 
a lot of consistency that the SEC doesn't have a national championship caliber team. I mean, are we sure? Like, because that I'm not sure about that. Like, this Alabama team, the way in which they play, like, they could win six games in a row and get crazy hot. Like, so let's not completely count out. I mean, SEC is the deepest. I don't think there's any question right now. The Big Ten, I would go Big 12, then Big Ten. And then uh, after that, I think WCC, the MEAC, uh, all these other conferences, and then the ACC and the Pac-12. But it's like – and but, like, it, I, I, I'm not sold that there's not one. I mean, you know, Arkansas has been fine. Alabama's been good. Uh, Florida's not national championship, but I think out of the SEC, if you're going to look at a couple teams, I think Kentucky, if they figure it out and if the matchups are right, they could possibly do it. I think Alabama, with the style in which they play, they could possibly do it because so much of the NCAA tournament, too, is who's hot right now. And you've seen it. Auburn gets hot, takes it all the way to the championship game. Texas Tech gets hot, or all the way to the Final Four. Texas Tech gets hot, takes it all the way to the national championship. It's all about who's good right then. And if you're playing a certain style that teams have to adjust to and struggle to adjust to on a one-day swing from a Friday to a Sunday or a Sunday or a Saturday to a Monday, like then, you know, it, it could be somebody with a little – I'm not even going to call it a gimmick, but with a faster pace and with a specific style. Yeah, I, like, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call this a gimmick. I, I don't – I don't want to put you off, Jim. I, I, think, I think that this is more just kind of what Nate Oates does, and it's a little bit – the same thing with like Chris Beard and the no-middle defense and and – Kind of the, I think Baylor did that for a while as well last year during their tournament run. So um, I, you saw I how you saw how fast I backtracked the word gimmick. So yeah, let's just, it's just different. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not standard. Anyway, Jim, go ahead. You you were about to say something. Well, I was just going to say we can't say that SEC doesn't have a title contender if we think Gonzaga is a title contender and Alabama just controlled the game on a neutral floor, semi neutral. I mean, that game that place was packed with Zags fans. No, that Alabama, was that was a home court for Gonzaga. No yeah. question. And if Alabama can win that game by 10 plus and, and control it the entire way, then why aren't they a title contender? Yeah. So let's, let's talk about them a little bit and how good we think they are. I feel like we spent a lot of time the, on the Gonzaga side of this, um, this performance, that backcourt is it's, it's more, it's, it's farther along than I thought it would be. I thought JV, JD Davidson was going to take more time to be a guy that could put together a performance like this. And I, I believe this was his, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was his career high, right? This was the best game that he's played. Um, but it's the, the I mean, the, the shooting coming along like that. I didn't I didn't think that he kind of had that yet. Uh, I mean, Quinterly is awesome. T.O., you called. I think you had him as a preseason first team All-American. Right. And Shackelford, when he gets going like that, it's just so tough. Keon Ellis has made the leap um, to me. He was I think we, we talked about this in the preseason that he was the X factor for this team. If he could find a way to be able to to make shots and play a little bit of that, like free safety defensive role that Herb Jones played then you had enough playmaking to make up for the fact that like you lost your de facto point guard when, uh, when I'm doing this a lot right now. I don't know why I'm doing so much. <laughs> um, where, where do you stand on, on this Alabama team? And just, you know, T.O. mentioned them as a title contender, Jim. Are, are you there? Do you think they can win it all? Can they put together six in March? I think they probably can, especially if this Davison is like the, the real Davison. I mean, he had 20 off the bench. He said career high. He hadn't had more than 13 before. Like this was definitely the best game he's put together. I mean, just imagine if they had Namari Burnett and Josh Primo in the backcourt too. Mm-hmm. Like that was an entirely realistic possibility, uh, especially Burnett. I mean, he's out with the ACL, but depth may be a little bit of a question, especially up front. I mean, they had some major foul trouble tonight, but against one of the best front courts in the entire country, it didn't burn them. Like they didn't get destroyed in the paint the way I kind of thought they would. So I, yeah, I mean, the ceiling's clearly high enough for them to to win a big game. Can they win six in a row? To you, I guess that's kind of the question. Six in a row, that's that's a little more of an ask. Let me ask you this. So we talked about Keon Ellis being the X factor. He was one of five tonight. Mm-hmm. So like the depth at the guard position, and really they need what, – what, what Bama needs in their front court is somebody who can catch a lob and somebody who can be in that dunker spot offensively and then basically be really physical in the post. And I think they have that. Now – Am I saying they're going to win the national championship? No. Am I saying it's possible? Yes, I am. Because so much of it's rhythm. That's what, that's what concerns me more than anything. But keep in mind, too, J.D. Davison did this off the bench. And if you want to go, if you're a supreme athlete and you have to play a year of college, what better place to go than Alabama? 
where he's going to just completely open it up for you. I mean, think about that. And I also want you to think about, too, it's his best game, 20 points. Uh, however, I, I'm looking at the stat sheet right now, 20 four points, six. four or six, five boards, three assists, but also keep in mind what Gonzaga does defensively. They get out and they pressure the ball. What does that do for somebody like Davidson? That opens that lane up. So he's able to create a little bit more. Now they started going under ball screens, but if he's shooting the ball well, I don't know who guards him. And he's coming off the bench, which is the big thing. Yeah, he had made four threes this season before tonight, and he was four yeah. of six tonight. So, like, that's kind of an added dimension. If he has that, then you can't guard him. Yep, yep. All right, so we mentioned J.D. Davidson coming off the bench. We mentioned him uh, accepting a role. I think that's a perfect transition and a perfect segue <laughs> into a team where guys are not uh, accepting roles and are not uh, happy coming off the bench and are not in a position where they are uh, – the, the, the team has really come together. Um, and that is – Memphis and that is Amani Bates and that is Penny Hardaway. Uh, they had another ugly loss. That, that's I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, your third loss in a row. Uh, they went to Ole Miss and it was just it, it's it's very, very difficult to watch them play. Um, it's not pretty. It's I think it's fair to say that it's selfish. There's a lot of one on one. There are so many brilliant basketball minds on that bench from Penny Hardaway to Larry Brown to Rasheed Wallace to even Cody Topper is a guy that I think is a very, very smart basketball person. And that they don't run anything, even remotely close to like the, the amount of bas- uh, coaching acumen that they have on that bench. So I'm not, I'm not sure that's true. So, so I called them out the other day and I went back and I watched a bunch of offensive possessions because then, you know, you backtrack, you start thinking, well, was that fair? Was that, they ran some okay stuff. Now what they did after they got there, Doster is a whole nother story. And I'll be, I'm going to be honest and I'm going to, I'm going to play devil's advocates a little bit because Penny, he blasted his upperclassmen. If I was an upperclassman and then Monty Bates came in, he's supposed to be a junior in high school or whatever he is, or senior in high school. And he comes in not physically ready and he's shooting the shots after we gained some momentum last year in the NIT where things are starting to roll a little bit. I'd be a little pissed too now. Like, there's a couple of shots that he took that are just, one, they're not in the flow of the offense. Two, he's not a pass-up-a-good-shot-for-a-great-shot guy because there's a couple of great shots that he's <laughs> he's not making that extra pass. and they He won't, need he won't pass up a bad shot for a better shot. Like, he, he if the what shot's was, there, it's up. What was what was Fran Fraschilla's line? What, what did he say? They were playing the uh, – they were playing Iowa State at Barclays and, and Amani took some dumb shot and Fran Fragilla goes, it's not peach jam, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like pretty much a perfect summation for what Amani Bates is right now. And I texted you guys this the other day. Um, I think that Memphis has a major, uh, before we get into everything going on in the locker room and, and some of the things that, that Penny said in his press conference, I think that they have a major uh, Amani Bates problem in the fact that this is a team since Penny that has gotten there, that has kind of uh, built themselves around being elite defensively, right? They're going to overwhelm you with links. They're going to overwhelm you with athleticism. They're going to be physically tougher than you. They're going to force turnovers. They're going to get stuff in transition. They're going to win because of their defense. And you cannot do that with Amani Bates on the floor. One, he's not physically ready to be what he needs to be defensively. Two, he has no idea what he's doing defensively. He's always in the wrong spot. He's always making the wrong read. He's always getting if, – if there's a, uh, a coverage mix-up and two people go to the same guy, 99% of the time Imani Bates is involved with that. Um, and he's just not – I don't think that he wants to play defense at this point. Like He's not a guy that's like, yeah, I'm going to go get a stop. I'm not, I don't care if my man uh, – or I, I'm not going to let my man beat me. Right? He doesn't really care. Uh, so – he's not good enough on the offensive end to make up for the fact that he's basically a net negative defensively. So like it's negatives all, all across the board for Imani, but he's on the floor like 30 minutes a game, right? Like I, I don't understand how you can have him be as inefficient as he is at everything offensively while also being a negative defensively and expect to be able to win a game when your entire thing is based off of defense, right? If you're, if you're going to go out there and try to win games offensively, like, okay, load up, let, let's get, Let's get lineups where we just have Durant at the five, Landers and Lester Quinones and uh, Alex Lomax and Amani Bates and go small and get all your best scores out there. Let's go try to score 90 points from everybody. But that's not what they're doing. They're trying to win with defense and they're playing Amani Bates as much as they are. Like it just, it makes no sense to me. And I don't know how you fix that, right? Like, I don't know if there's, 
an answer that solves that easily without saying, okay, we got to get Imani stronger. We got to get him ready to play defensively. We got to change his mindset and we got to get him to stop t- taking these stupid fucking shots. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So I don't, I, I th- it's a major, major issue. I, I don't know how you fix that. I, uh, I, I still think they play really good half court defense when it's there, but the problem is their offense undermines their defense consistently. Like the, some of the Bates shots, some of the decision-making they make, there's long rebounds, there's runouts off steals. And today the, the part that drove me crazy was they just kept every time they turn the ball over or take a bad shot and they, they give up a rebound, they'd reach and they'd foul. Like they gave up 10 twos today. Their, their defense was really good. Like it's impossible to score inside the arc on them, but Mississippi made 23 free throws because they just got to walk to the free throw line every time. So it, it that's I mean, you know it's not exactly on Bates himself, but some of his decision making, some of his shots. I mean, he was one for ten today from the field with a couple times where he just dropped the ball while driving. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what you do, Tio. Like you've got to play him because like that's your identity is his talent, and we brought in these guys, and you're not going to recruit as well after if you just bench a, a five star like that. But it's it's a dilemma. I'm like Rob, I'm not sure how you fix it. So uh, before before we get into that, we're we're killing Amani Bates right now. But I do want to make it clear that in the post game, like you mentioned, To Penny, like he he really went after his upper classman. And I'm going to read quotes that he gave to uh, Seth Davis at the Athletic. Really before quick. before before we blast the upper classman, can I just because I think like it would get lost in the shuffle if I were to say this later. But like, I think Imani is a very good player. He is not going to help you win games at this point in his life because he's physically not ready. He gets bumped off of everything. He can't create good looks for himself because before he gets the ball, every cut, you know, Ole Miss, like if you look at Ole Miss too, like that's a bunch of older dudes, big, strong, physical guys. Every cut that Imani made, like he almost folded. Like we, we, I, I just, this year, whenever we came in, there's only a few guys that can do this. Paolo's a, Rare exception. And I think Trevor Keels is a rare exception to where physically they come in ready. Chet's not there. Imani's not there. Like these guys are not physically ready to play against some of these big time programs that I consider Ole Miss a big time program from a physicality standpoint, because of all the guys in the Davis there. He's yeah. It's because they got Kermit. Kermit's Kermit's a goat. I'm not sure what brand of goat, but he's a goat. I love Kermit, but like, he just – he has big physical dudes. Imani's not ready to play winning basketball yet. And I think the summer that he didn't have is something that is sorely needed. Like, coming in in August – and he made a really late decision. Like, he enrolled late. Like, so he didn't even get those first two or three weeks of class before – or first two or three weeks of class before they he, finally he got his enrolled. He was at Peach Jam with us in late July playing. Yeah. And he's talented. And, guys, he's talented. He's, ta- he's, he's not ready to help you win. Be a good play. It's almost like, T.O., it's almost like uh, when most of these kids reclassify, the, the, real, the, the kids that really enroll in college as, as, uh, as, as seniors in high school, if that makes sense, not the guys that are a year old for their age and are 19-year-old freshmen reclassifying. The guys that are really going into college as seniors in high school, it, it rarely works out the way that we want it to work out because it's just – you need that year, man. That that seventeen to eighteen year old year of development, physically, maturity wise, it's just it's huge. It's huge. huge. Um, but I I do think we need to talk about kind of the stuff that Penny actually said because he he went after his upperclassmen, um, and it was all over. He he said it in his press conference. He said it to Jeff Calkins, who's the uh, the the columnist for the Daily Memphian. Um, but this is what he said to. Uh, to, to Seth Davis. He said, we've got so much negativity. This is a quote from the, the athletic article. We've got so much negativity in our locker room with veterans being jealous. Everybody's trying to get to the NBA off the ranking we had, but nobody is willing to sacrifice minutes, touches, anything. It's been miserable. You can imagine what a 17 year old is thinking as he's trying to figure it out. That's a reference to Amani Bates. Um, he didn't name names, but, uh, but, but the guys that have kind of been lumped into that group of of being jealous of uh not wanting to to sacrifice anything to try to appease Imani it's it's been Lester Quinones has been Landers Nolly it's been DeAndre Williams uh Alex Lomax some people will tell you there's there's pretty much all of the upperclassmen that came back um have been the guys that are uh that are not really accepting their roles and there's before we we we, we kind of dive into this I do just want to make one more point 
Trevion Williams at Purdue. He was a preseason first team all Big Ten player. He was a guy that got preseason All-American votes. He is a senior. This is supposed to be his year where they build a team around him, right? Where they turn Purdue into a national title contender because of what he can do with the five. And he's not starting. He got benched for a sophomore. And you know what he's done? He's sacrificed. He's accepted it. He's been the guy that's been the loudest cheerleader on the bench. He's been the biggest vocal supporter, the guy that took his job. And he's probably going to end up getting a contract somewhere as a result of it because people see that and say, oh, you know what? He can accept a role. That's a good locker room, dude. I want that guy within my uh, organization, whether it's NBA, overseas, whatever it is. So I do think that it's important to kind of make that contrast for what Trevion Williams is doing versus what these guys at, uh, at Memphis are doing. So, Jim, um, how, how hard is that? Like I, you look at Penny on the bench while he's coaching, and he looks like he's having the worst time in the world on that sideline. He looks yeah, miserable. He, he, yeah, he looks like they just immediately do things he told them not to do, and he's like, "I don't. How do I fix this?" Uh, the difference between Williams and some of these guys, Trevion, is that the guy that took his place is good. The guy that took his place is impacting winning. The guy he's mega efficient, and it's like, all right, if Zach E's going to be an All American, I can concede that. But if you're sitting behind uh, Imani Bates and he's thrown up, you know, 10 misses a game and he's turned the ball over a bunch. It's going to start to piss you off a little bit. Cause you're like, we won last year. Look what, look what we did. We went, you know, the end of the year when Deandre Williams became the focal point, they win the NIT and now they're, I mean, they lost to Georgia and Iowa state. Like that's, that's not great. Lost to Mississippi. Uh, th- this is like the, the fever dream of in a preseason, everybody who's like, that team has too much talent. The chemistry is going to blow up. Like this is the exact epitome of what you're talking about when you say that. And it's never usually this bad, but yeah, Tio, this is, it's rough right now. And again, like we keep saying this in Memphis, but I don't know how you fix it. I don't know what you do. Well, you make the the standards and the expectations the same for everybody. And I, I think like when Travion Williams gets beat, you think, Painter is treating Edie any different than Travion Williams. The expectations for what they're supposed to do is completely different. For him to single out Imani or, or not to single out Imani, he was one for 10. Let's call it what it was. He was one for 10. I didn't hear people about one for 10 now. And those guys that he mentioned, they didn't get a lot of shots up. So, like, the, 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 the set of expectations has to be the same. And sometimes when guys get better, and I don't, I'm not in the locker room, so I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Boys, we're talking about it, so I'm going to say it. Like, when expectations are different for different players on the team, guys get better. And especially when a guy has come in and not been there for very long and given that much lease, when they haven't been given that much lease and they've been there for three years, that could be a problem. Now, Travion Williams gets beat out. He's got the same kind of leash that he had and the same kind of leash that Zach Eady has, so he can understand. I think the dynamic would be different there. I just think it ha- all happening so fast for Imani coming in three weeks late to school, starting lineup. Jalen Duran coming right into school, starting lineup. Guys are not going to be happy about it, and that's part of it. And it's hard to fix, but if you're holding your ho- accountability – if account, the level of accountability is the same for all the guys on the team, including Imani, because he was one for 10. I, let's not forget that. If the same level of accountability is for him, it's for Lester Keones, is for all the other guys, Lomax, all that stuff, that's fine. There's role definitions that are different. But what you're doing as far as what you're held accountable to is the same, then I don't think guys are going to be as upset. I think, I think Imani is getting a little bit of leash because some of the shots he's shooting, guys, them boys is wild. That's all I'm going to say. Like he's shooting some wild shots. That's that's all he's ever done, right? Like that's the teams he's been on have been the way they win is he takes those wild shots. I, no, I but here's the thing: they didn't win, they didn't win for Bates fundamentals. They're getting jacked by forty. <laughs> like they they weren't winning then either. He was just outstanding. He was having forty points. He hadn't played winning basketball. Yeah, I, I think. All right, is that mean? Like no, I'm not no, trying no, to be. You're, mean, you're, right. you're right. Like you got to win. You're you're 100% right about Amani. Um, you're 100% right about the the double standards and the level of expectation. Um, I I'd be I'd be pissed, Oster. Yeah, we just I, know, I, would, I, would, be, I would be pissed too. I would be pissed too. And I don't. 
again, we're not in that locker room. So it's very hard for us to be able to say like, they, he did this wrong or he's not managing this guy wrong. But if, if from day one, when those dudes stepped on campus, if there was a certain attitude that these guys were carrying, if there's a certain negativity, if they are uh, openly bitter in the locker room, if they're yeah. going back against what the coach is saying, like it's very, it's very difficult to, to kind of navigate that. Right. And at this point, it feels like there are probably too many feelings hurt because at some, if Penny is pissed at Landers Nolly and Lester Quinones and, and, and DeAndre Williams and these other guys that, that led them, by the way, led them to an NIT title. Let's not, let's not overlook that. They were, they were one of the 30 best teams in college basketball last year when they, things were all said and done. Um, when, when the guys that led you to that success are not accepting the new pieces that you're bringing into the program, there's going to be from day one, there's going to be bitterness between the coach and the players. Right. And, and look, Penny's supposed to be above it all. These guys are supposed to be above it all. We're supposed to have a professional attitude. All people are people, and there's, you're going to have feelings involved. And it feels like it's gotten to the point with this group that, like, I don't know how you. They got to have their come to Jesus moment. They got to have everyone sitting down again and, and a blank slate. They need a players only meeting. That's they well, need a players only meeting. Never work. They <laughs> never work. They, I know it's all cute. Blah. We had a players only <laughs> meeting. What happens in those player only meeting is somebody just gets spoken at for the entire 30 minutes or whatever it is. Those never work because it's always one-sided. Somebody gets ganged up on. And that wouldn't be good if you have a players-only meeting with Alex Lomax, who's already pissed off at those guys. You got all these upperclassmen getting pissed off at these freshmen. That wouldn't work. Like, yeah. it's got to be – it's it's on penny. And, guys, like, we don't know what's going on. That's the hard part about what we're saying. Like, we can analyze and analyze all we want. We don't know what's going on. It's just – to me – if there's different sets of standards, that's when I would get pissed if I was an older guy. So yeah. I, I'm not saying that's what's happening. I'm saying that's what I would that's what I would feel yeah, like. You're 100 correct. And the only point that I'm trying to make is that I think that both sides have fault. And the only way that you're going to solve this is like if everybody can find a middle ground where it's like, okay, Amani, stop taking these stupid fucking shots. But Landers, Lester, like all of you guys that are acting like assholes, you need to be be bought in on what we're doing as a team. Like this isn't going to be the Landers knowledge show where we're going to give you 20 shots a game. That's not how this is going to work. You need to accept it. And if you can accept the role, then maybe you got a shot as a six foot seven shooter to make it in the league. But if you're not accepting the role in this team, there's not a single team in the NBA that's going to say, okay, yeah, we can bring that guy into our program because he can accept a role. That's, uh, you know, there's every, everybody's got to, you're not going to, you're not going to win by saying that this side is right. And this side is wrong. Am I making sense? Is that, is that, my, my point yeah it's, well, it needs to be compromised it doesn't need to be one side wins is what you're saying yes that, that's what it needs to be there's still enough talent on that roster to find a way to win at, at the very least there should be enough talent on that roster to beat georgia can we can we all agree yeah. on that georgia without aaron <laughs> yeah. cook too george, ridiculous georgia without aaron cook uh jim you're the gambling guy are we, are we going all full fade train on uh on memphis at home against murray state on friday night we're pretty close. Uh, it's it, if teams can make them at all uncomfortable defensively, I feel like you, you, that's that's golden. I mean, today I kind of forced a Mississippi bet, and I watched and I was not impressed with Mississippi, but the, Memphis just kind of handed them the ball and handed them free throws. So right now, yeah, yeah I think was, we're, we're pretty close. Awful. It was an awful game. All right, uh, let, let's pivot again. Um, I want to talk about a couple teams from the Big Ten that that were impressive today. Uh, first and foremost, we need to talk about Wisconsin. I don't think we've talked about Wisconsin enough on this after dark show. Uh, we haven't, I don't think we've talked about them all on the, the DTF podcast to you. Um, mostly because you have uh, not allowed us to speak about them because they are a boring brand of basketball. They put you to sleep. Um, I actually, uh, truth be told, I'll be honest. I did fall asleep for a little bit of the second half of Memphis <laughs> Ole Miss game. I was, I had a dad moment. Only. I had my, my son's first basketball practice today. Kind of wore me out a little bit, you know, I had to be up early. So um they went yeah. six full minutes without a field goal. So I bet you didn't miss anything. I, yeah, I don't think I did. I woke up, <laughs> I, like, I, I felt myself, like, pop up like this, and the score was still the same as what I remembered it when I, I fell asleep. <laughs> so I, I don't know how long I was asleep, but it, it must not have been that exciting. Anyway, we do need to talk about Wisconsin. They, they played, like, 76 possessions today, Jim. They're, yeah. uh, if you can get past Brad Davison's antics, and it's very hard for me to get, get past Brad Davison's antics. He is the antithesis of what I want to see and a basketball player. He's, he is what, everything that I stand against when it comes to flopping and uh, generously um, some cheap shots. If you're not being so generous, being a dirty player, like I'm not, I'm, I'm an anti Brad Davison guy. Once you get past that, like this is kind of a fun team. You know, Johnny Davis is the real deal. 
uh, the point guard they got, I can't remember his name. Um, uh, Chucky Hepburn. He's, yeah, he's a little Hepburn. tank engine. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a fun player. They're, they're big guys. Uh, the Crowell kid, the um, Tyler Wall. Like, they're, they're a good basketball team. And I'm starting to get to the point, Jim, where I think they might they, – they, they probably deserve to be in that top three, top four conversation in the Big Ten, right? Yeah, I mean, they were Wisconsin's top four in Big Ten for like 15 straight years under Bo Ryan. Now we're – we're almost back to that point. I saw him up close and personal here in Vegas at Maui a few times. And like every game I was like, I don't know, maybe they're not that great, but then time would go on. They'd wear teams down. They make a lot of big shots late. Both Davis and wall just like can get a bucket when you need to, which that was my concern coming in was like the Wisconsin offense always devolves into some late shot clock stuff. It's, it's slow. They, they grind out the clock but Davis can beat just about anybody off the dribble. He, he's got step back moves. He had a couple today where he, you know, he ran away like impressed with himself because of how good his moves were. But uh, th- there's a little more offensive pop there than I expected. And with the way they play defense, they're consistent on that end. If there is solid ceiling on, on offense or at least a floor where they're not going to be miserable. Yeah. I think, I think it's a top five team for sure in the big 10 and, I, I don't know if we've seen like how high that they can go. We'll see once we get into conference play. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it's impossible that they finish second in the conference, just because I, the, the league's wide open after Purdue. Um, anybody can beat anybody. I think you know if Corbello doesn't come back and uh, Illinois doesn't figure it out, then you know this Michigan bounce back, which we'll talk about in a second, isn't for real. Like, who, who knows about anything else in the Big Ten outside of Purdue? So I, I, I'm, I'm in. I'm in on NCO. Where are you at? I think because of the pace they play that Johnny Davis and Brad Davison are going to give you a chance to win every night because I mean, Marquette, I think today was a little bit of a fallacy because Marquette, they play so top heavy defensively that they're going to force you to go to the rim and shoot shots quicker. But because Wisconsin plays at a slower pace and you have those two guards that can get you buckets, they're going to be in every game because I think Johnny Davis is elite. I mean, the way he uses steps, his length, the fact that he changes direction with the ball without slowing down is phenomenal. And he does it in tight gaps. Like, night for 14 today, and he only took one three. And, like, he takes, like, the most frowned-upon shot in basketball. A lot of mid-range jumpers. He takes a lot of them, but he makes them at a high rate. Like, tough finisher, tough player. I like the – I I just – it's going to be hard for teams to guard him because he's just kind of slithery. Is that a good word? Like he's it, like he gets around ball screen hedges and he just kind of keeps attacking without losing any momentum. He's so strong in his lower body and he's able to shift in different directions. He's going to give you a chance to win every night. Now, top five in the Big Ten, I'd have to go over the Big Ten again. But I, I would say, yeah, it's wide open. He has like the craft of a YMCA player, but also like incredible athleticism. So like you put right. that together and it's uh, how do you guard that? That's it's, it's quite a game. Yeah, he uh, the, the the pull ups that he hits off the bounce. It's just he he's he's a killer in the mid range. He's one of these guys where, he, you know, he's going to get to his spot and he can elevate over you once he gets there. And it kind of doesn't matter what you do defensively. He had one move today where he had someone isolated on a wing and he like jabs right. It takes one dribble left and jumps off of his left foot as a righty and throws up a little like seven foot floater with his left hand and hits yeah. it for the shot blocker. And I was just like, what is that? He's making those shots now. Like that's that you would look at that. You're like, okay, that right there, that was an NBA move. And uh, I, I was trying to think, uh, I'm, I'm curious, both of you guys responses on this. Um, when was the last time Wisconsin had a player like him? Like, I don't know if they've ever had a dude like him. You know, Frank Kaminsky was awesome, but he was also the perfect fit for what Bo Ryan wanted out of a five, right? Um, Sam Decker was awesome. He was not the guy that was making these shots or having this impact defensively. I think you got to go back to, like, maybe Devin Harris or Alonzo Tucker. I don't know. Devin Harris was the name that came to my mind. Like, Jordan Taylor made some shots, and the shot clock for them was pretty good creator. Koenig was the same way, but they weren't the athletes that Davis is. They didn't have the upside, the pro potential that he does. So yeah, I, T.O., I think it's Devin Harris. Like you have to go all the way back to, to him to have this kind of an impact wing guard uh, with the pro potential that he has. Devin Harris was just so fast. Like I, I would say, yeah, the kind of impact. Yeah. I think they're different players, but I, I mean, that's obvious. That goes without saying, but um, I'll be honest, boys. 
I've actively avoided watching Wisconsin play, but Jordan Davis has changed my mind and I'm going to start watching them more often now because they're a lot of fun. And I'm not sure they are a lot of fun, but he's a lot of fun and he's getting close to much must see television. All right, let's uh, let's pivot to Michigan, because I do want to ask you guys about the Wolverines and whether or not you believe that this team is back. They have not had the uh, greatest start to the season. Um, They got kind of punked a little bit. Uh, by Seton Hall in their own building. They lost by 18 to Arizona on a neutral court. And then on Wednesday, they went to North Carolina and they lost by 21 and scored 51 points against a North Carolina team that hadn't played any defense up to that point in the season. So, uh, T.O., I'm going to you first. They beat a pretty good San Diego State team by 14 in a game where they kind of had control for the whole game. How worried are you or how how? How convinced are you that this Michigan team has kind of figured things out a little bit? I'm not convinced. It's one game. They played against San Diego State, which I know they're good, but they're not Big Ten big. And I I think Michigan's still going to take time to figure it out. I mean, these things aren't fixed overnight. Michigan's problems aren't fixed overnight. Handling double teams, knocking down shots from the perimeter, getting their point guard to be able to play at a high level every single night. He's shown he's been good at in spurts, but he hasn't shown a ton of consistency. I think they have a, a, a chance to be good, but I think you're going to see the best Michigan team beginning of February. I think it's going to take some time. I think Juwan's a hell of a coach, but I, but I, I they're also young, and I I feel like I say it all the time, like old wins, yada yada yada. Young guys need time. It, it's true. And Hunter Dickinson, despite being preseason All American and all this, he's still only a sophomore, and really. He's in front of the crowd freshman. Like he, he's never dealt with some of the stress and circumstance that he's dealing with right now. I think this is a team. It's going to take time, but once they figure it out, they're going to be a tough out. Yeah. I, I think for the, like the sample size with Juwan Howard was so small that like he, he walked into a pretty experienced team the first mm-hmm. year. It's like, okay, they're great. Last year, still a lot of veterans. They were shot out of a cannon, like it immediately ascended up into the top five. And so I think, I and probably others had this assumption coming into this year, like, oh, there'll be a finished product right away again. And we see the talent, like the recruiting class they brought in, the the transfer with Devontae Jones. It's like, all right, they're going to be awesome right away because Phil Martelli and, and Joan Howard do that. That's what they do. But it, they are really young and they are going to take some time. And I don't think there's, you know, there's no shame in that, but I think the ceiling's still really high. It's just going to take quite a while to get there. And I, Rob, the, the point guard questions are going to linger. I mean, Mike Smith was so good coming into that system last year, knocking down shots and creating for others and fitting in. Whereas this year, it, it just, it's, it hasn't been as smooth. It's been rougher trying to get everything worked out. And that's probably because his, his teammates aren't, uh, it's not like a ready-made rotation this time around. You, so, you know what the other issue is too? Um, the, I think it's twofold. One I do think that all of the freshmen coming in this year that we didn't quite get a chance to evaluate at the level that we normally would because they, I mean, they didn't get their peach jam season. Right. I think that it's a little bit tougher for us to know exactly what these guys are. Like Caleb Houston had a huge rep. That doesn't necessarily mean that he is always going to live up to that rep because we just didn't, we haven't seen it for, for a year and a half. Um, The other problem is if you look at what they had last year, Franz Wagner is like an elite kind of role player for the system that Jawan Howard runs. Same thing with Isaiah Livers. Same thing with Shawnee Brown. Uh, Eli Brooks, you definitely put in that conversation as well. They are guys that have length, that can make threes, and most importantly, can make plays off the bounce. And especially with Franz and Eli and even to a point, um, Isaiah Livers, they're guys that can uh, put the ball on the floor and make something happen to make somebody else better. Uh, And if you look at Caleb Houston like he's basically a spot-up shooter at this point and until tonight he hadn't really shot the ball all that well I think that coming into this game he wasn't um I don't have the numbers in front of but he wasn't he wasn't shooting it the way that he shot it tonight more or less Musa Diabate is incredibly talented has a chance to be really really good but what he is right now is kind of a guy that like gets in the way of where Hunter Dickinson is the most effective like yeah they don't play well together they don't play well together so it's a it's a weird thing yeah, like last year you had Isaiah Livers at the four who could do everything more or less that Diabate could do on the defensive end, but he's also a guy that shot 40% from three, right? So all of a sudden you were playing four around one instead of like three and a half around one where Diabate is like most effective kind of 12 feet around there. So I think that's part of the problem. 
Um, so, yes, I do think that a little bit of it is the point guard issues, and, and Devontae Jones has not quite been as effective as Mike Smith. But it's also he's been put in a situation where he's asked to do more um, than what Mike Smith was. Like, if you're Mike Smith and the floor is spaced the way that, that last year was spaced, then it's a lot easier for you to kind of make those plays and find the room to be able to make something happen than what Devontae Jones is dealing with right now. So, Well, keep in, uh, keep in mind, too, like Franz Wagner made a lot of decisions for that team. And he was so unbelievably on both ends of the floor. Like mm-hmm. what that dude was as a role player and his impact was so severely undervalued last year. I, I, I think he's going to be a very, very good NBA player for a long time because he does all of the little things that you need to do to be effective in that kind of four round one NBA spread, whatever cliche term you want to use for that. He's so good at, at doing those little things that makes him a great fifth option on a team. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you want to talk about the ultimate crutch for Mike Smith while he figures it out, like that first two months of the season, while he was really good and operated in a lot of space, like Devontae Jones ha- hasn't been given that luxury. I mean, Eli Brooks is fine. He's averaging over 14 a game, but he's not the decision maker that Wagner was. So it's like, and he's good, don't get me wrong, but I think Wagner, I mean, he was a lottery pick for a reason, boys. Like, I think he's excellent, but it's like, he didn't have that crutch to get through the first month of the season. And that was significant. So it's going to take them a little bit longer. And like I said, I think they're going to get better as the, as the season progresses. Yep. By that. I don't have a lot to add. I think Michigan's going to end up fine, but they're not fine yet. Yeah. They're kind of in the same boat as, as Illinois to me, where there are certain flaws in the way that they operate, but they have a guy that's good enough at the five and coaches that should be able to kind of figure. Like, I think, I think Illinois has kind of figured out, the way to make it work, um, at least for now in the short term, where you have uh, give Coburn the ball. Well, yeah, I mean, like it, there you go. Part Brain. of it is, yeah, part, part of it is getting Alfonso Plummer out there more. Like yeah. that, that dude's been shooting the hell out of it for the last four. I think he's averaging a twenty-four in the last four games. Like that, those are Terrence Oglesby numbers uh, right there. I think getting Trent Frazier kind of in that decision-making role because he's more of a threat as a scorer, even if he's kind of at his best playing off the ball. He's more of a threat as a scorer than Corbello is. And the biggest thing, the most important thing, I think is bringing Corbello off the bench whenever he gets back from this neck injury and letting yep. that dude build that confidence back up. Like he, I think so much of what he does is based around like confidence and belief and like life is confidence, not just being an athlete, but it's so important to have confidence in your ability as an athlete. And I think that he kind of, he just, he didn't. He did not look right in those first two, three, four, however many games he played. So, getting him to a point where he actually believes in himself again and is having fun instead of uh, turning the ball over seventy-eight times a game, I think is something that matters. So, yeah, life, I, I, life is confidence. You're like a bearded New Jersey Buddha. That's all you are. <laughs> life is confidence. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, it's Rude. like last year when Desumu was out and Curbelo ran the show perfectly, and I think everybody just took that small sample and we're like, look how good they look how well they functioned when he was in charge of the offense, but they already had such a structure of the team around him. And it's, it's a little bit like the Michigan situation where this year it's a whole new team dynamic. They didn't have Coburn for the first few games. It, it just, the, the infrastructure around him was not the same. And that clearly has dashed his confidence a little bit. And, yeah, and he's the reason we discovered it. He clearly wasn't right. If you if you have a concussion and you sit out the games and you come back and then they pull you out again because of lingering effects of like a neck, whatever, whatever, whatever the injury is, is still kind of based off of that same thing. He clearly was not right uh, while he was playing. So I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt on that one. All right. Before we uh, before the, we wrap this thing up, I'm going to put you guys on the spot. I, I just want a team that you've been really impressed by that's kind of a little bit off the radar that you think is going to end up making some noise. I'm going to allow you guys to think about it. Well, I go first on this one. Uh, it's Colorado State for me. Um, I, th- I had them as the best team in the Mountain West heading into the season. I think they've lived up to that level of expectation uh, this year. They are currently sitting at 9-0. and They just beat the doors off of St. Mary's. They won 74-58. to David Roddy, if you have not seen this dude play, like he's a different animal. He's about 6'4", like 270, big into anime, big into Disney stuff but he kind of plays like a Draymond Green role for this group where he's a great passer. He's a shooter. He's a really, really good defender. And they put him at the five. They got a point guard named Isaiah Stevens, who is just a great decision maker, um, but is also a dude that can go out and get you 25 on any given night. And you combine those two guys with dudes that make shots around them. 
And I mean, that's a really, really good Colorado State team. They're 9 0. They beat Creighton by 14 on a neutral. They beat St. Mary's at home. They have a win over Bradley. They beat the breaks off of Oral Roberts in the first game of the season and Max Acemus. Uh, so I'm I'm in on this Colorado State team. I think they should be ranked on Monday, and I think that they have a chance to win a game in the NCAA tournament, assuming that they get there. But I think that they'll find a way uh, to make it happen. I'm a big Nico Medved guy, so I think Nico's uh, Nico's done well here. Jim, I'm huge, going to be huge Medved guy, huge yep. Medved guy. Yep. You going to me first? Yeah, I'm going to you first, Jim. All right. This I I don't know if is this far enough off the radar. You stop me if it's not. But for me, it's Arizona in the sense that. I think preseason, they were not really top 25. I think they're top 10, like fringe top five. I was so impressed with them up close. I think Tommy Lloyd is, he knows what he's doing. He's unleashed the talent that Sean Miller had there. Like, I I think they are a true legitimate national title contender, like not just fringe final four team. Like they're, they're still 19th in Ken Palm. That's going to keep going up. I, I think as we see more and more of them, as they continue to play bigger games, they've done a lot of, feasting at home so far but as they get bigger games and, and a little more feature nationally the the Michigan destruction is going to not be a small sample like they, we're going to see more of that uh, they're so big and athletic on the wing they've got two true bigs but they still have some spacing the point guard play has been better than we expected with with Krissa and Dalen Terry helping out I think Arizona rocks I I'm to the point where I think they're going to win the Pac-12 and maybe that's crazy to people with UCLA and, and USC but I think Arizona is incredible. I I'm kind of with you, although I do think that UCLA, uh, Sean Miller on the uh, he's been on After Dark with us, and um, he's done some like he's got his Miller Time podcast or the uh, the Miller Brothers podcast. Next play, the one thing he's been saying about UCLA is that you cannot judge them until Cody Riley gets back because his ability as a post scorer brings a totally different dynamic. Um, he's kind of compared it to. Uh, Zach Eady versus Trevion Williams in terms of like what having the two different kind of five men stylistically can do with Miles Johnson versus Cody Riley. So he's been kind of banging the drum. You cannot properly judge UCLA until those guys get back. But I'm I'm with you. I love this Arizona group. T.O., what do you got for me, man? Give me the fight in Steve Forbes's. I don't even know <laughs> if I made uh, Steve Forbes plural. But, man, like Wake Forest has started out eight and one. Tough win over Northwestern. I realize Northwestern is not great, but you still got to win it. Show up today and beat up my Hokies. I thought they were going to be really good towards the beginning of the season, but they have struggled, not mightily, but enough to where I'm concerned. But nonetheless, they've got a guy named Davion Williamson who followed Steve Forbes over to Wake Forest from East Tennessee State. They've got a guy named Jake LaRavia who's a do-it-all four-man who can get it off the rim on the defensive end and take off and make decisions. And Alondis Williams might be the most underrated transfer pickup in the country. He has been terrific. Over 18 points a game. He's shooting the ball at a high rate. And guys didn't know he could shoot the ball from three whenever he was at Oklahoma. This year so far, 10 of 27 from three, 37%. He's been terrific. And he gives them a go-to score. And they've got athletes around him. Kadeem Sai, transfer from Ole Miss, 6'10", really good athlete, comes off the bench. Isaiah Musius has accepted a role of being third or fourth fiddle on any given night. And they got a guy named Dallas Walton who transferred in from Colorado, seven-footer, who provides a little bit of some inside-out things for them. More of a defensive presence, hasn't got off to a great start, but he still provides us somebody who can space the floor and pull some five guys out because you at least have to respect it. Wake Forest, they might not win. You know, they might go 500. But I think a lot of people, including myself, had them pick 13, 14, 15. This team with the ACC and the shape that it's been in, and it hurts my heart to even say it, boys. It hurts my heart. But at the same time, they could finish top six or seven because he's got those guys rolling. He's got them playing hard, and they've got role definition on that team, and they are a lot of fun to watch. So give me the Demon Deacons. The one thing that you can always say about Steve Forbes is his guys are going to play their tails off for him, and I think that we're seeing that with this Wake Forest group. But listen, today was a college football Saturday. Michigan just took a 35-3 to lead on Iowa. I think it's safe to say that that game is uh, is probably over. Which means- oh, the explosive Iowa offense? How dare you? Yeah, which means – yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe, maybe I'm speaking too soon. But um, it means that it's time for the Field of 12 after dark. So I want you guys to all flip over, search right now on YouTube, Field of 12. 
Search on Twitter, Field of 12. Go and check it out. We have Bryce Petty. We have Christian Hackenberg. We have George Whitfield. And we have Clint Sterner breaking down everything that you need to know about college football, the playoff rankings, who's going to get in, uh, whether or not Alabama is um, uh, going to be the number one team, whether or not Cincinnati should be a lock. Does Notre Dame have any chance in hell of getting in over uh, someone like a Cincinnati or maybe even a Michigan? They're going to be breaking all of that stuff down for you on the field of 12. So for Terrence Oglesby and for Jim Root, my name is Rob Doster. This was the field of 68. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.